you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament, the book of Mark, chapter 2. This morning we will be reading verses 13 to 17. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. If you're a guest with us, we're working our way through the book of Mark, looking at Jesus as our King, and in this special holiday season, we're specifically looking at this and and through the lens of why our king came to us in the first place, what his mission was while he was here. And this morning, we're going to look at another conversation between Jesus and an unlikely suspect. This time, it's Jesus and the tax collector. So with all that in mind, we're going to read Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. This is the word of the Lord. He, that is Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. One of the most important questions you can ask on the mouth of an eight-year-old, let's say, can be one of the most dangerous questions that can be asked. Why? Why? All along through this section of Mark, we've been asking that question. Why did Jesus come? Why do we celebrate Christmas? And friends, in the midst of the hustle and bustle, in the midst of the 37 Christmas movies you're going to watch this year, do not forget the real reason why. And I want to remind you from this text what the why is. Friends, Jesus did not come for those who made the nice list. He's not checking a list twice. He's not coming for those who are very nice. Jesus came for the worst of us. That's what Mark is showing us in this passage. The king came not for the best. The king came for the worst. Is that the reason you celebrate Christmas this year? But it brings up another important why. It's not the why of Christmas, brothers and sisters. It's the why of eternity. And if no one's asked you this question in a while, allow me to step in and ask this for you. It's the most important question you can ever answer in your life. And I, I suspect that the reason God has brought you here today is to answer this question. One day you will meet him. You will stand before the king. And he will assess why he should allow you into heaven. And he will say, what's the reason? Why should I let you in? Friend, what's your answer going to be? 
what are you going to say to him? And we need to be very careful that the hope that we have, the answer that we will give, lines up with the reason why Jesus came on that first Christmas. Because if those two things don't line up, we don't have very much hope. Jesus came for the worst of us. And if you're one of those who doesn't think you're one of the worst, maybe you think you're pretty good. Maybe your answer depends a little bit on your good works, on your track record of going to church, of your religious life. I'm going to give you three reasons in this section of Mark why you should stop trusting in your works. Three reasons you need a new reason to get into heaven. The first reason is found in verses 13 to 14, and it's the person Jesus chooses. You should not trust your good work because of who Jesus chooses in this passage. Look at verse 13 to 14 with me. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. It's like one of those activities that children sometimes do where there's two pictures and they look exactly the same. And the instruction for the exercise is to circle everything that's different. There's only a few things in the picture that are different. You have to look very carefully. We've already been by the lake with Jesus. We've, ever, we've already walked the shore. We've already seen him call out his disciples, and we've seen them immediately drop everything and follow Jesus. The pictures look the same, but the only difference that you would circle in this exercise is who Jesus picks. This guy doesn't fish. He's not calling a fisherman this time. He's calling a tax collector. You need to know, if you don't, how controversial this would be. A tax collector worked like this. If the government wanted a $1 fee for every fish that was caught in the Sea of Galilee, the tax collector could charge anything he wanted as long as he gave $1 back to the government. So Levi could sit by the Sea of Galilee and when Peter and James and John and the other guys came in with their fish, Levi could charge Peter $2 for his fish, give one to the government and keep one for himself. If he wanted to, he could charge Peter $5 and keep four for himself and give one to the government. Levi is like one of those call center workers who preys on people. He's a scam artist. And he's Jewish, so he's a traitor to his people. He's thieving off of his brothers and sisters. That's why in in Jewish culture, a tax collector was disqualified from being a witness in court because you couldn't trust a word out of their mouth. A tax collector was banned from the synagogue. They wouldn't let him in to worship on Saturdays. A tax collector was a disgrace to his family, and many saw him as a traitor to God. So before Judas ever did anything, Levi was the betrayer. 
because Levi was a tax collector. In the eyes of the Jewish people, there could be no one worse. Now zoom out. Verse 13, the crowd is swarming around Jesus. You see this picture? We've seen it over and over again. Everyone in town is following Jesus. He's already been on a preaching tour all over Galilee. He's been inside the synagogues. He's taught people. The crowds are coming. Jesus literally has his pick. Anybody in town, he could call anyone he wants at any moment. But who does Jesus choose? And listen, Jesus did choose. Mark's like putting it right in front of our face. Look at verse 14. Notice the pronouns. As he passed by Jesus, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Levi didn't come running to Jesus. Jesus came running to Levi. Jesus can call anyone he wants at Capernaum, and he calls the worst, the last pick on the kickball team, the candidate who gets zero votes. Jesus chooses him. Friend, why do you think God would call you? What makes you worthy to be on the list? What in your resume stands out among the crowd? Be careful how you answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. When God calls anyone, it's not because of them, it's because of him. And if that's the truth, you have no business trusting in your good works. Because those are not what make you the kind of person God chooses. The second reason you shouldn't trust your good works in this passage are the people who eat with Jesus. Look at verses 15 to 16. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Levi throws a Christmas party. After Jesus invites Levi, he invites everyone to join him in celebrating why Jesus came. But Levi is a tax collector. So the guest list at this party doesn't match your Christmas party, probably. It's not quite a who's who. 
Mark tells us in verse 15 that many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus. Here's, here's the subtle thing. Levi's not the exception. He's not the one sinner Jesus brings in. Jesus makes it the norm. He's eating with many tax collectors and sinners. And Mark tells us that they're reclined at table. It means they're having a feast. Not the Jewish way, but the Greek way. They are partying here. It's a Christmas party you don't invite grandma to. But eating a meal in the eyes of the people meant intimate fellowship. It meant deep connection. I want you to think about another meal that Jesus had. On the night he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, Jesus shares a last meal with his disciples. And who's at that table? Do you remember? A man who doubts Jesus, a man who denies Jesus, and a man who betrays Jesus. And at this table, at Levi's house, Jesus eats with the worst the town has to offer. He's not eating with the mayor. He's not eating with the chamber of commerce. He is eating with the sinners. That's how the Pharisees looked at it. The word Pharisee meant separated one. The reason they were called the Pharisees is this, as R.C. Sproul writes, the Pharisees believed that salvation came from distancing themselves from anyone who was morally loose. Does that sound familiar? That salvation came from getting away from anybody that might be a problem. See, when the Pharisees looked at the people around the table, they saw scum to avoid. Jesus sees souls to save. Here's the question. Does your table look more like a Pharisee's table or Jesus's? Does your Christmas party look more like Levi's or the Pharisee's? Who gets the invitation? And what does that say about our belief in the gospel? If the only ones who make the cut to your table are the good and the nice, what do you really believe about grace? When our lives exist in a Christian bubble, when everything's Christian, Everything. Do you really believe Jesus came for the worst? Now let me remind you why you even get to sit at the table. In Luke chapter 23 verse 43, Jesus looks at a criminal who's never done anything but bad. And he looks at him and says... Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You've done nothing. You're going to be at the table. Jesus, friends, is the only one who ever earned the seat by his works. The rest of us get to come to the table by grace. As John writes in Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited 
to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Not well paid, not deserving, blessed. So the second reason you should stop trusting in your good works is because that's not the kind of person that eats with Jesus. The third reason in this passage that you and I should not trust in ourselves are the people Jesus saves. Who Jesus saves to begin with. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with tax collectors, with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When the prodigal son returns home, if you remember that story, the older brother throws a fit. He can't believe it. Why would the father act this way? A lot like the older brother, the religious in Capernaum are not very happy with this party. And so Jesus paints them a picture. People who think they're healthy don't sign up for heart transplants. That doesn't happen. That only happens when you realize you have a life-threatening condition that you'll go through the procedure. It's about need. And so Jesus closes this conversation and explicitly answers the question, why? You want to know why we celebrate Christmas? You want to know why we're here in the first place? You want to know why any of us have hope today? Let's look at what Jesus says here. Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, that's why we celebrate. Jesus came for the worst. When he says, I came not to call the righteous, he's not saying that there are some righteous. Psalm 14, verse 3, they have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Jesus is saying there are some here who think they are righteous. There are some here who think they are good. He says, you're not ready. Christmas did not happen for them. I didn't even come for them. I came for sinners. I came for those who know they need me. That's the difference between these Pharisees and Paul. Paul, when he assessed his life, understood his need by the grace of God. That's why in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, starting in verse 7, but whatever gain I had as a Pharisee, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then in verse 9, he says, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now I, need you to, I need you to hear this. What happens 
when you trust in your good works? What happens when your plan is to stand before the king on the last day and say, I worked really hard for your name. I served you my whole life. I always showed up at church. I gave you some money. I did everything I could. I tried to train my kids to be godly. I tried to do everything you said in the Bible. What happens when you're that person? You move yourself away from Jesus' target. You move yourself away from Christmas. You move yourself away from the cross. You move yourself away from the Lord. If you put any confidence in yourself, if you have any hope in your good works, Jesus says, I've got nothing for you. I have nothing to offer. Nothing. Jesus, in this passage, came for the traitor, not the teacher's. Jesus, friends, came for the wicked, not the holy. Jesus came for the black sheep, not the role models. Jesus came for the criminals, not the good old boys. Jesus, kids. Jesus came for the kids who get in trouble, not the kids who are nice. He came for the ones who go to detention and ISS and get expelled, not for the ones who make honor roll. Jesus came for the worst. Do you know your need of salvation? Do you feel how far off you are from God without Christ? In God's eyes, where does your righteousness come from? What's what's the source? Is it you or is it Christ? Brothers and sisters, listen, the danger here is everyone in this room probably thinks that the Bible's not talking to you. But here's what, here's what this, this story of Levi tells us. That more likely, in churches like this all over the, the world, that people in a room like this are farther from Jesus than the people in the bars last night. People who grew up in church their whole life are farther from the Lord than the ones who've never been. And if that shakes you up, it should. The gospel is not common sense. It's scandalous. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. And if it makes you mad, that's a a sign. Because it made the Pharisees mad. If you're in Christ and you understand the grace and you understand how far off you are, it should make you like Levi and just amazed that you're even in the room. But we, we put so much weight on ourselves and our good works that we don't respond that way anymore. We assume we're in the room. And I've had so many conversations with people, not on the outside, on the inside. And they, they say things. 
I've tried really hard to bring my family to church all of my life. I've tried to do a lot of good for the community. I've tried to, to serve this place, this place. And in our conversation, you know what never comes up? The cross. Because in their mind, they don't have a need. God did not send Jesus to give us a good example. He came to rescue us from sin. Jesus, friends, remember the gospel. He took on the lowest birth in the most mundane, simplest childhood to grow up and die the worst death of a criminal to offer salvation to anybody who would believe that story. And he comes to us and he tells us to lay everything down. And he says in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Stop trusting in your good works and believe in me. Friend. If you're going to stand before God and trust in yourself, you have this opportunity of grace to stop right now and make a new plan because your plan's not going to work out. If you're trusting in yourself, listen, you're the exact kind of person that Jesus is saying, I did not come for. I came for the ones who will know they need me, will abandon everything, and put everything they got hoping in me. If you've never done that, if you've trusted in one ounce of yourself up to this point, you need to turn to Christ. And you need to trust in Jesus for your salvation for the first time. Repent and believe in the gospel. Friends, if you're a disciple... If you know you've trusted Jesus that way, if you know you've been saved by grace, how can this episode with Jesus shape your mission? Does your Christmas table look like this? Has your Christmas table ever looked like this? Who needs an invitation? What invitation do you need to accept? Friends, don't give hope don't give up hope on anybody. Whoever you think is too far gone, they're the ones closest to Jesus. They're the ones closest to salvation. The ones that it would be ludicrous to even expect would come to salvation. They're the next one. They just need an invitation. They need someone to love them enough to show them grace sit down and eat a meal and point them to the one who changed their life. And friends, Jesus works this way so that only he gets the glory. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as he says in Ephesians 2, he does it so that no one may boast. Jesus doesn't save us by our good works because if he did, we could brag about it. And we'd have something to one-up the next guy. But Jesus saves us this way so that the only thing we can do
is point to him. That's the message that made the angels sing so loudly when Jesus was born on the first Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, they sing in the skies, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And if we've been saved by grace as the worst this world has to offer, we're going to sing that song too. May we leave today in that grace, ready to give a message of hope and peace to anyone who would believe. Jesus came for the worst of us. Let us pray.